to Turning Your Cruising Dreams into Reality podcasts. I'm Jackie Parry and it's good to have your company. Today I'm going to take you through a storm in the Nicobars. This episode is brought to you by Pantenius Yacht Insurance. Weather is fundamental to sailors. We used weather facts. Through our SSB, our HF radio, which is long range, at certain times of the day and night, we could dial up a frequency, link the laptop to the radio and receive synoptic charts. Simple software that we downloaded from the internet decoded the signal. Receiving free 12, 24, 36, 48 and 72 hour weather reports while on board and in the middle of the ocean was simply marvellous. We didn't have internet on board at the time. And with this system, there are stations all over the world that transmit these weather reports regularly, covering every inch of the ocean. Receiving weather faxes was a daily task and was usually in direct association with my internal weather system. When we were tossed and buffeted, I felt beaten. As the weather improved, I shifted from thoughts of selling the boat to designing a new vegetable rack. Viewing the complete picture on synoptic charts, we were sometimes anxious, but always ready. En route to Sri Lanka, we passed through the Nicobars. The Nicobars are a collection of reefs and islands, approximately one day sail out of Thailand. Regular navigation was imperative at these times. Underwater islands agitated the waters. Odd currents swirled and larger waves could be found traversing these peculiarities of the sea. The underwater terrain made barriers for the ocean to churn around and flow over. In the middle of this area, a lightning storm scratched the sky, bringing sheets of rain as thick as ice. At midnight, my shift was coming to an end, just as the rain and lightning gathered full momentum. The pleasure of peeling off my wet weather gear and snuggling below in our warm, cosy, dry boat was short-lived. As I was about to slip into a warm, body-heated bunk, I looked out at Noel, double-checking that he was clicked on to the lifelines. We always wore our life jackets and harness when in the cockpit or on deck. At that moment, the lightning cracked with an ear-splitting crescendo and the rain stepped up its onslaught. Noel sat in the cockpit, cloaked in full wet weather gear, arms folded, head down, plainly miserable. Crack! Another shot of lightning almost hit us. Do you want me to stay up for a while? That'll be nice, Noel replied gratefully. Although I was desperate to sleep and hide from the storm's onslaught, I knew I wouldn't want to be left alone in these conditions. We sat up together all night under the deluge of rain, huddling in a corner of the open cockpit with wet weather gear and wellingtons our only protection. Thankfully, the wind did not kick up too much, but the wars of rain made keeping a lookout a struggle. 
hugging tightly together, the lightning consistently cracked and crashed around Mariah, toying with us. The boat's outline was seared onto our retinas beneath our closed eyes. We witnessed the fingers of electricity strike the water an arm's length away from where we sat. A lightning strike would be devastating. We could navigate with our sextant, but that was not easy. We liked our GPS. It made life simple. During the storm, our radios and GPSs had been disconnected and placed in the oven, a temporary Faraday's cage. Our electronic steering gear was in use. We'd just have to hope the lightning didn't find our mast. We felt like sitting ducks, teasing Mother Nature by waving a tantalising finger our mast in the air. In our little huddle of fear, we thought, oh, well, we're either going to wake up or we're not. After a long night, as we peeled open our soggy eyes and tried to unglue our bodies that had clung tightly together, we awoke to what felt like a movie set. Blue skies stretched into infinity. Birds soared swiftly across the bow, and the sea sparkled diamonds under the sun. Rung out with lack of sleep and hours of intense fear, we still managed to grin. We'd survived. It was necessary to reduce sail and slow down as we approached Sri Lanka. The winds had lifted their game, and a favourable current had opted to give us a hand. That's the real oddity about sailing. You can go too fast or too slow. Some harbours and ports need to be entered during the day. It isn't always safe to enter in the dark. Navigation lights and A's are often not kept up to date or present at all. This means at times that we had to try to speed up or slow down to ensure we reached the port during daylight. Another peculiarity is that you can slow down in good winds and favourable currents, only to find that the current and wind then turn against you and suddenly you need to speed up. In our case, after slowing down, the wind then died. So we were running the motor. And two days out of Sri Lanka, our fuel was getting low. We were probably going to be okay, but didn't want to take any risks. Fortunately for us, we had caught up with our friends on the boat breakaway as they had been happy to travel around two knots and sail most of the way. Therefore, they had ample fuel. In the middle of the Indian Ocean, we carried out a fuel and beer exchange. We manoeuvred Mariah alongside Breakaway and maintained a distance of about 20 feet to allow for the boat's movements. Jamie threw over a rope, attached were two drums of fuel and some yummy homemade scones. We hauled in the line and attached half a dozen beers in the bag for them. Visiting islands meant trading at times, but this was our first mid-ocean trade. Typically, after we took on this fuel, we sailed the rest of the way and were able to give them back their entire fuel supply in port. The last few nights in to Sri Lanka were dark, the moon working her way up from a sliver. I prefer full moon nights, but the dark nights held their own magic. The sequin sewn carpet of black 
was breathtaking. Endless shooting stars helped me offload some of my wishes. Sighting satellites was easy. They're like slow-moving stars, a remarkable feat of human ingenuity that astounds me every time I think about it. During most trips, dolphins became part of our journey. At night, nearing Sri Lanka, we couldn't see the dolphins themselves, but their outline in the green phosphorescence that ran off their backs and around their sides. So dark was the night and so bright the phosphorescence that the dolphins appeared as shooting comets as they slipped through Mariah's wake. The green, breathing torpedoes accompanied us for some time, relieving the monotony of the dark, lonely night. While sailing, we usually slept in the single bunks in the saloon. This is the centre of the boat, and therefore a bit more stable than either end. In feisty weather, single bunks are better. A lee cloth is used, which creates a cot so you can't fall out. When it's really calm, we can sleep in the V-berth, which is a double bed at the forepeak. I was about to climb into the V-berth for a snooze, when my nose curled at the really strong fish smell. Flying fishes, as you probably know, have wings, which give them flight to escape predators. With the V-berth hatch open, the flying fish had flown into our bed and died. Fortunately, it was still relatively fresh and I was tired, so I just threw it out the hatch and popped into bed. I briefly wondered how many people thought nothing of finding a dead fish in their bed. Now, these flying fish are incredible creatures. In the dead of night, all of a sudden you hear a thump, a brief pause, and then a rapid flip-flap, flip-flap, flip-flap. Quite often, the fishy smell would then assault your nostrils. I always tried to find the source of the flip-flaps as soon as I could. I couldn't bear the thought of a little fish fighting for breath. Noel would catch them, cook them and eat them. The strong olfactory confirmation that a flying fish had landed on the deck was in good company of many other smells. The tangy brew of percolating coffee and the salty damp. Onions sizzling in the pan became a near daily event on board. Meal creativity started here. Sun-dried canvas evoked memories of summer holidays in our youth. The damp cotton cockpit cushions, penetrated by salt, never completely dried out. Then there was the contrasting whiff of exhaust, which encouraged seasickness. The sweet smell of freshly baked bread, inspiring hunger. While travelling, we trawled a fishing line. This had been 100% unsuccessful so far on this voyage, but apparently as we approached the Red Sea, fishing became better. The countries there are so busy fighting each other, they had no time for fishing. We had heard it was expensive to stop here, in Sri Lanka, but we would never be sailing by again. Plus, we needed fuel. The northeast trade winds were supposed to be clipping us along by now, but there were no sign of them. At 7.45 in the morning, we were sailing into Sri Lanka. It was cloudy and drizzling, just like good old English weather.
The dawn was beginning to break and the peacefulness was calming. I sat on the bow of the boat, watching the land grow bigger. I could smell grass. It's one of my favourite smells. Land has a distinctly sweet and welcoming smell. Sri Lanka's scent was strong, replacing the salt that had tickled our noses for the last nine days. I knew I was going to like it here. This was our first successful long ocean passage, and we were ecstatic. At last we were anchored safely in Gaul Harbour. Combating the heat and weariness after a journey, we organised all the relevant paperwork to check in. This took a whole day. The police, the marine police, customs, immigration and health were all armed and all unsmiling. The boat was searched, although not too thoroughly, but it irritated me when they checked through personal letters, as if I'd hide a person in them. As usual, there was a fee for checking in, plus taxes, for this and for that, which ran into hundreds of American dollars. At this time, the Tamil Tigers were causing grief on the northern part of the island, which we were not permitted to visit. Due to the problems, every two hours throughout the night, bombs were let off in the anchorage. This was to prevent underwater attacks. But we couldn't help but jump when a few sounded far too close for comfort. We did manage to sleep, though, curled up in our V-berth, with the satisfaction of arriving safely into a new port. At times it was hard to comprehend that we had sailed into another country. The absurdity of our popping in to different countries on a regular basis and meeting people from all over the world is condensed in this extract of a letter by Noel to his brother Colin in Australia and I'd like to read that to you now. I am sitting on a Kiwi-built yacht, Mariah too, with a pommy wife. Next door to our new friends, which we met in Borneo, who are Irish. We're all in the harbour of Sri Lankans. Jack's playing a learn-to-speak French tape while doing the dishes and repeating all these avoirs and mercies, etc. I tell you, it's enough to make me feel a little strange and disorientated. But most of the time I'm maintaining a balance of these absurdities. And with the help of GPS, I know where I am at, even if I can't remember how I got here. By some miracle we are both still alive, and not in hospital, or lying in the side of the road, or in jail, or strangling our driver and beating him to a slow, fearful death. The guys here are maniacs. Our pleas of, slow down for Christ's sakes, went unheeded as they drove, pedal to the metal, dodging pushbikes, buses, ox-toed carts, cows, elephants and meandering pedestrians. In between being scared to a frazzle, we saw an assortment of ruins from ancient periods in Ceylon's past, when kings were kings and the people seemed to have only one passion in life, to stack bricks and stones in a pattern to their master's liking. All, of course, in the belief that 
having been good little slaves, they would be reborn into a better life. Well, 2,000 years later, the majority of these workers are eating rice with their fingers and generally following tourists around. They are picking tea leaves, cleaning ruins, making carvings for tourists, living in hovels, crapping in holes in the ground and trying to sell something to a tourist. They don't eat with the left hand, as that hand has a specific use. There is no toilet paper, only a bucket of water, if you're lucky. Not exactly the promised land, but hey, if they keep building temples and putting money in the donation boxes along the sides of the road, outside the temples, and if they don't actually rob a tourist with a gun, well then, they'll definitely come back a better person and richer, no doubt, one day. Well, you've got to believe in something as you dig mud, plant rice, and by and large, Buddhism seems a little kinder and peace-loving than most other religions. Mostly, the countryside is lush and beautiful, swaying coconut palms amid light seeking tropical vegetation providing the spectator a vision of soft greens, romantic rice fields and oxen images, all of which camouflage the blind beggars and open drains. I hope you enjoyed our story of the lightning storm in Sri Lanka and then us arriving into Sri Lanka, which was a great adventure for us, and a little bit of Noel's perspective for something different. If you'd like to read this story, go on over to sistershiptraining.com and click on articles. There's more to the story there and more of Noel's interesting thoughts. There's also some pictures and you'll find other tips and information. On the website, there'll be lots of other articles. There's podcasts, videos, there's training coming. So hit the subscribe button to keep up with what we're doing. That's all we've got time for today. My name is Jackie Parry and it's been good to have your company. I'll catch up with you again soon. I wish you safe sailing.